0: By ranting rhino productions praxis pedagogy exists to position our teaching and learning practice within different methodologies we want to construct a guild of educators dedicated to designing a difference in our own teaching and learning and in our students experience Welcome back to this episode 69 of Praxis Pedagogy Podcast, where we are looking into the book, Appreciative Inquiry in Higher Education by Jeannie Cockwell and Joan MacArthur Blair. We are doing chapter four, which is entitled Critical Appreciative Inquiry. And in this chapter, we explore four ideas through the lens of critical appreciative inquiry, the inclusive practitioner, the shift from a focus on issues to a focus on inquiry, topic development, an emergent design. Thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you on the other side. Take care. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Praxis Pedagogy Podcast, where we like to center our pedagogy and praxis to help us become better educators in, uh, in what we're doing. And we are in chapter four, but you already knew that because you would have saw, saw the title on the, uh, the title card. And uh, we are in appreciative inquiry in higher education, a transformative force, ladies. Mm-hmm. Chapter four, critical appreciative inquiry. You knew this chapter was coming. It just, it just yeah. had to be here. And, um, man, it was, uh, it was a doozy. I think it's the biggest chapter yet. <laughs> yeah. Quite possibly one of the heaviest chapters yet. Uh, what'd you think? Overall thoughts?
1: Yeah, it's good. It's very, very powerful. Yeah. It, it leads. I think the book so far has led you into this approach and you start seeing um, you know, the opportunities that lie within this uh, appreciative inquiry approach. And then right here in chapter four, it tells you why this is so important. Like if you were hovering on the importance of this, this is, um, this is a way I think to, you know, confront the dominant order and you know through self-reflection as well maybe you know confronting yourself with that too but yes yeah, super powerful um if anybody got this far in the book and was thinking oh yeah i think i've grasped this you know i'm good three chapters then suddenly you go you go in for a deep dive here round down into what really
2: matters yep. yeah yeah yeah, I, I agree. Like, if you thought that appreciative inquiries was rainbows and butterflies and magic wands, <laughs> then, um, you know, especially when people, you know, we have had this discussion is you you obviously want a positive outcome too when you're working through different things. And this, this is when it gets complex when it gets nitty and gritty when you have to it says you know on the, in that in that first piece you know the impact of difference and power and diversity and how you manage it and i also like that this chapter was um full of kind of structure and examples and um it, it could it could even give you that introduction to start planning you know to start planning your own process so i did leave with you know a few questions to just how it how we could maybe discuss it as well within our own like bubble of you know the institutions that we work in. Um, But yeah, it was it was difficult. It's one I'm gonna have to read a few times over and um and break it up a bit just so that I can, you know, think about how maybe I can utilize this well in practice, in what I do in my job. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was uh yeah, very, very good, very good chapter. What do you think, Tim?
0: Yeah, I thought it was a good chapter. Obviously, um, haven't been disappointed with any of the chapters, quite honestly, and uh, um, this chapter does not disappoint. It brings the heat. It brings a, brings some fire, and uh, you know, as a as a as a white guy <laughs> in higher yeah. ed, yeah, yep. yep. Um, you know, just add this to the pile of books that I got to read, but. Uh, <laughs> all in all, there there's a, there yeah. was a, there was a good amount of information in here that I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm kind of already doing some of this just with a different lens, right? Like I'm not looking at my AI specifically as, as a tool to make wide sweeping social change. Uh, in my context, I'm using AI to make sweeping change in TVET. Uh, and, and there are just different aspects to that. And we'll probably touch on those as we go. Um, I did like the, uh, the diagram on page 65 figure 4.1, the critical appreciative inquiry and and how it's, it's really a, a culmination of three things, the social construction, the appreciative inquiry and the critical theory. Uh, and you know, it's, uh, it, it was, it was good for me to, to read all that. And, I like, I like the, the kind of the last paragraph before we get into the four key areas where uh, it's written there for us that uh, um, it provides a framework for people to construct stories that have common themes and future images, right? And, and, and in doing that, it helps us facilitate the process. And it's kind of what I've said before in a few other chapters. So I don't want to, I don't want to repeat myself too much, but I, I, I really appreciated the, the emergent piece that was allowed to happen within this, within this chapter. Um, it felt a little, a little focused uh, at first. And I thought, where's the emergency in all of this? Where where are you allowing it to be emergent? Because one word floated to the top for me time and time again, and that was intentionality, right? The, the intentionality that this chapter um uh challenges you to bring to the to the process so yeah good chapter for me
2: yeah i i kind of like in that first piece when you're talking about you know dominant cultures and that um you know s- social constructions and mm-hmm. based on different backgrounds and you know, one of my looking at this kind of piece i was like how how could you do this well in like in the world that we work in? Like, so within our institutions, when you are putting together like a, um, a committee of people to decide upon something or to create something, normally you don't get the opportunity to specifically choose the type of people that you want, you know, to be on that committee. So Mm -hmm. it talks about like, you know, bringing, um, on page, um, on page 111 it talks about bringing um p- dif- people from different purposes to level that transformation so mm. first of all like when you look at a purpose that you're going into you've got obviously break that down into layers as well because you are you're going to be transforming in the ways of coming up with ideas but you're also going to be micro transforming people's individual you know ideas that they bring to the table so you're managing all these different complexities which i found you know you know, really great and worrying and exciting at the same time. But also, if you are choosing a group of people, that a diverse group of people, how can we do that in our institutions? How can we really be, you know, that prescriptive when we have our stakeholders like, you know, different unions, or they've sent us somebody, and this union sent us somebody, and then administration sent us somebody, and faculty has sent us somebody, and we need to work through this. Mm-hmm. you know how how could we do that within our microculture? So that's where I feel like I need to it, it can't just be a few of us in an institution that look at this lens. It has to really be a big part of the institution to understand this critical and appreciative inquiry to understand like, you know, how we can actually make sure that we, these, you know, different diverse, diverse areas of the college are being heard. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was, as I said, like it, it, it threw out a lot of questions as well as like planning. Yeah. And I would
1: question as well, How diverse can a committee be in a higher educational institution when we think about those that have already been excluded from that setting? So, you know, recognizing the privilege that we already hold, you know, Tim, you you mentioned that already. And of course, you know, Lucy and I don't have one of those privileges. We're not male. And so, you know, straight away, we we know that 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 exists around there. But I'm thinking about, as you're saying, Lucy, with, you know, with our committees, and looking for that diversity and the representation of those that are have been excluded and how can we find them in post secondary institutions when those um you know those barriers um those social structures have already excluded them from such workplaces and i know i know that we're doing better and i'm really excited that we're doing better and that there's, I, you know, um, higher ed's has been very intentional about that, but it's just the beginning of what's probably a very long journey. Mm-hmm. And so I think, um, you know, in the short term, I wonder, you know, it begins to, uh, the question for me is how do we bring outside voices, voices that exist outside, you know, the ivory towers as such?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. And and I found myself, I don't know if it was more, uh, I found myself looking at this at a more meta level than, than I probably needed to, because uh, we've, we've banged on this uh, topic quite a bit too. But I found myself like in the, in the margins writing notes, like um, the bias of vocation, example, academic and trades. Right. And as, as hard as the three of us have worked to try and break down some of those silo walls in some places it's worked and in some places it hasn't worked. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of the perspective that, that began to emerge for me more and more as I read through the chapter. Right. And, And it, and it became salient for me. Uh, and when I came into this paragraph in that first section of, uh, the inclusive AI practitioner, where uh, the authors state that our intention here is not to discuss all the aspects of difference, power, privilege, and diversity, but to nudge practitioners to begin a journey, to deeply understand these aspects that influence the AI process. And here's the key for me, how they themselves are showing up in the process and the biases they're bringing with them. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you're right. We may not always get to pick the people that are on the team, right? We're just given a team and we're told, okay, get the job done. Um, So now uh, this this is where I see our role as AI practitioners really coming to fruition and saying, okay, if we can't pick the team, then it's a coming upon us to start modeling the way and and really begin to 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 model that process of of inclusionary practice and and leaving biases as much as we can at the door when we walk in because um, if we if we're doing that, well, this is my experience. If I if I feel like I'm doing that, then I feel I feel. Better about the, the outcome, and I actually feel uh, less need to control the outcome. If that makes sense.
2: Yeah, it does. I mean, I just, oh my God, I, I just <laughs> thinking about like how would you even navigate like that kind of. Because you know, if you can't pick, but then you want, you know, I guess it's an important one of the most important stages of this. And we talk; they talk about that later on in the chapter about, mm-hmm. you know, looking at your agenda and stuff. But, but like really focusing on like who are the people that are in the room, what are their experiences, you know, what can they bring to the team, where they feel, you know, there are weaknesses, and you know, as an individual, as a group, like what, you know. I, as I say, individually as i I mean we've never really been asked to do that before ever I mean I've never come into a meeting and being asked to like you know look at our look at my diversity and my experience and what I can bring to the team mm-hmm. you know that's or bring to this committee you know and um, it's it starts to come out maybe, but it if you're making it an intentional piece of the process that's that's really out there in higher ed mm-hmm. it really is. Mm, you and, know, and
1: I think yeah. on that note as well, Lucy, the you know, going to coming to the committees and and um, you know, and then looking around and saying, whose whose voice is not being represented here, whose voice is not at this table? And that's the you know, that's the piece of the puzzle that we're actually looking for. And I think that becomes challenging. Um within air within air institutions because there's typically there is um you know I know many of the committees that I sit on, there'll be one representative from trades, you know, and we right. spoke a little bit about this last week actually, um, when you know in the podcast before um Cascadia, we spoke about this very briefly about the whole thing of categorizing trades instructors as They're all trades instructors. Trades instructors think like this. Well, of course, you know, if we ground we cannot ground that statement in social constructivism or if we try to we very quickly go okay that's Mm. not possible so why do why do we say that and so I think that's the piece isn't it that when if you have a representative from trades within your institution then being mindful that this is my perspective this doesn't how can it represent um you know the other seven instructors within Mm -hmm. that same institution I mean I'm not sure I have the I definitely know I don't have the answers here but it seems to me that there's lots of questions uh, you know around this whole piece of being you know inclusivity
0: Mm -hmm. so do you you resonate with the bridge metaphor that they mention quite a bit in this chapter
1: Oh. Tim Carson, you're just leaving us hanging on that one, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> silence again. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So,
0: so the first time that they mention it that I that I've circled in here, they may have mentioned it once before, but uh, is in that second section on moving from issue focus to inquiry focus, right? Which is which is something that I think all of us in this in this podcast try to do a lot. Is we try to get people to focus away from the issue and focus into why are we doing it, where are we going, what's good about what we're doing, what can what can iterate better. Um, and you know, uh, I've mentioned before that sometimes there's a space for people to just vent, right, uh, and just let them go and and express their emotions. Because um, like I said, you don't always, you don't always get to pick the people who are on the team, like. I'll give you an example. I show up to an articulation meeting. I don't get to pick the people who are there at the articulation meeting, uh, but they've asked me to come and facilitate a process. So I'll come and facilitate a process. I don't know anybody's background. I don't know experience that they have with third party, you Mm -hmm. know, governing bodies or certification pieces and, or exams. I, I have no clue. Um, But I'll sure find out that there's something under the surface pretty quickly. Right. Um, And so this, this, statement that they make is that between these two, these two spaces, uh, which were they, they refer back in the, in the previous paragraph, they say that AI practitioners must build a bridge in order for individuals who feel that they have historically been discriminated against in the academy to fully engage in the AI process. So let me switch some of that, those words around mm-hmm. because we may not run into this specifically, but it made me think of you know ai practitioners must build a bridge in order for individuals who feel that they've been historically mistreated by third party by administration uh to help them fully engage in the process and then once i started thinking along those lines i'm like aha uh-huh, bingo there's trades and academia again or there's mm-hmm. there's trades and the third party process uh mm-hmm. there's there's even Uh, trades faculty who have been doing this for, you know, 20 years and there are trades faculty who've been doing this for 20 minutes.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry, Lucy. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say too. I mean, I've noticed a slight shift in, you know, having, trades programs being underrepresented having trades people in senior areas of the college being you know fully underrepresented and again it's all due to you know what we were talking about like you know feeling Mm -hmm. under you know feeling not um i can't possibly be part of this conversation because you know i didn't do the traditional route of of academia or being a woman in trades in senior leadership like it's it's it definitely bring, I, mean, I don't know what it is, but you, you sit in this room and you feel like I have to defend myself. Mm-hmm. I have to, I have to prove that I'm allowed this seat at this table. And, um, and so, yeah, I just find that it's, uh, it is maybe getting better in my, in my micro, maybe because I live in Vancouver and it's a little bit more, you know, forward thinking in how we look at, I mean, well, I say that our institution is just building. It's EDI kind of, uh, profile mandate platform right now. Um, so when we're looking at other colleges that, you know, throughout Canada that, you know, may have not even started this conversation yet. Um, and how do we articulate this same message throughout all post-secondary? So this culture and this stigma isn't there. Um, yeah. Yeah. And exclusion's so interesting.
1: I know what really, um, you know, resonated with me as I was reading through this about one of the um, the team were had written together a blurb that they were sending out to the participants and somebody drew it to one of the facilitators attention that the language that they'd used was not appropriate to their particular order audience. And therefore it was going to exclude people. So through that choice of language that's used, and it reminded me of when I first started my PhD and It seemed like an enormous, um, you know, enormous leap going from a master's into this PhD program, especially when I found myself that the prof I had at that time would often speak in Latin. So, you know, he would talk and say something, but then he'd summarise it with a Latin term, which the other six, you know, uh, graduate students in the room Obviously, all knew what that Latin term was because they had very traditional um, educational journeys. They had done their undergrad degree, they'd gone to do their master's, and here they were immersed in the ivory tower every day. So they had access to this. I had no access to it. I couldn't write it. It wasn't like I could write it down and then Google it, which is, you know, I think many of us when we're shifting into the World of academia, we do that. We have to find out, um, but you can't do that with Latin because unless you actually have some understanding of Latin, you actually cannot spell what these words are. So it really excludes, and it was and and not only did it exclude me from the uh, you know gaining an understanding of really what was being discussed, but it reinforced that I was not, I didn't really have access to that classroom. Like I had been allowed in, but now it was going to be my, it was on my shoulders if I was going to be successful, if I was going to be, because they weren't, they weren't going to make it easy for me. And I, you know, it's pretty obvious somebody that has being a hairdresser, you know, started a hairdressing apprenticeship at the age of sixteen and carried on in that profession, and then gone into uh, the post secondary education as a hairdressing instructor. Even though you know, and then they've gone through their masters, it's pretty obvious. that, Or let's take a guess. Maybe it's not obvious at all. But if we were going to take a guess, what do we think this person really? had a sound understanding of latin i'm gonna say we would probably know if we considered it but i think that's the point that's the point Mm -hmm. here isn't it how many of our actions exclude you know exclude so many Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and and I, i also find it's hard to talk about as well because you know sometimes when you're i don't know i feel like as as a blonde blue-eyed white girl you know uh, with an english accent it's sometimes really hard for me to trigger up some of these conversations and you know it is hard and and when we're talking about looking at inclusive committees and we're looking at okay we want um you know people that represent this group we want to make sure that i've invited um somebody with um an indigenous knowledge and background to share within this committee i want to make someone from disability services to be in this committee and um and everyone's marked off but they don't really look at like the schools because i I hate it when there's a token person and we've just mentioned something like that like a token person on the committee whether it's an indigenous person whether it's someone from disabilities or and i don't want to put us in the same box and i'm absolutely not but i'm saying too like we'll we'll bring one trade person in as this token person and to lend a voice and and I feel that we are kind of moving from that, but that's what I feel like. I mean, even in in the centre of teaching, learning, and research, we have one tradesperson and we have one person from nursing and and so forth. And but we have three people from academia, and then we have a nursing um, instructor that is, you know, vocational, and then we have me. So yep. I feel like I'm constantly like having to advocate. And so you know, not that I know what it is to be, you know, you know, in this. Diverse, you know, and and the stigma, and for my entire life. But I am, um, but I understand that tokenism is just, you know, something that we should avoid. So how how do we even manage that? How do we, mm-hmm. you know, because it's hard that when you have one person from each that brings complete different experiences from different cultures, and now mm-hmm. they have to be the di- that diverse voice for for that for that entire. Um, group of people and it's very hard to put on one person to do that whether it's something like being an indigenous person or a deaf person or someone that's um you know from a a different school that's underrepresented how you know how do you Mm -hmm. put that pressure on that person to keep coming forward
1: especially yeah especially if you're saying that they've been excluded anyway for whatever reason and and we're saying you know we're drawing this divide which we know exists between um, vocational and active the academic academic vocational divide we know it exists and and we've all been working actively to really um, I think sort of reposition it, yeah, like identify the strengths of both and acknowledge the strength of both both. I mean, there was a conversation last week of you know a tradesperson identifying as an academic. And you know, I thought about that a lot afterwards, and and I I don't know that we want to, as a tradesperson, I mean, having a PhD, I feel comfortable saying yes, I. I can stand in that on, you know, in that space and say I'm an academic, but as a tradesperson, do I really want to identify as an academic? I don't think so because that, that dismisses the actual knowledge and skill, the skills that I have, like as a craftsperson. And I know Tim, you've spoken a lot about this, um, you know, in the past around craftsmanship. And if we, identify as academics We're, you know we're chucking away one of their core core real strengths that are, should be equally as valuable so it's it's interesting how we identify but just coming back round to that lucy i totally agree with you to to bring people in and have them having to Put all this weight on their shoulders to have their voice heard, especially when they've been excluded for so long. Yeah. Um, and I and I remember somebody saying um, a good few years ago um, around land acknowledgement when we you know we began to um, start our classes and our presentations with land acknowledgements and. Um, An indigenous person that I work with, uh, um, she had said that she was getting endless communication now from faculty members saying, can you help me? Can you tell me what I need to do? And she said, it's not my responsibility. It's your responsibility. Like we need to take responsibility. And I think this is, you know, when we think around these, you know, social structures around differences. It is our responsibility, isn't it, to seek, you know, to to better understand
2: those differences and the discrimination that goes along with them. Mm-hmm. And 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 the boxes. Being, I'm just thinking, you know, too, like in in our, in our world, like it's boxes all the time we're put into. Like these, this is disabilities area. This is trades area. This is academic. Like maybe you need some trades people in the disabilities area and some disabilities people in the trades area. And you need some, you know, indigenous people in CTLR, people that represent that group in CTLR in the trades, like you need to mix it up a bit. That's the only way we can be inclusive is we let people into our clubs that, you know, that we, that we belong in and and let everybody in. So it's like, it's a big job, but it's fascinating. And I'm excited for it for sure. (laughs)
0: So, yeah, yeah I, I, I agree with both of you. And, and, and yet I find myself disagreeing with some of the stuff too, in the sense that, um, you know, as a, as a tradesperson uh, identifying as an academic, I, I, I find myself more and more going, you know what, I, I'm okay with the label faculty. I'm not sure I want to be labeled an academic. Because, you know, I spent a lot of time learning my trade, learning my craft. And then when I got into education, I still had a lot to learn. I got a, I still have a lot to learn. I'm, I'm by no means an expert okay. in it. Um, so, I, I'm, and maybe it's just a, a terminology thing for me, but I see, I see this, I see this movement of going from the micro to the macro and maybe we should we should be just focusing in on a little bit bigger than micro and and here's why because lucy when you said you know we should be taking people from trades and put them in the ltc and take people from accessibility resources and throw them in you know a nursing class and mishmash all these people around i i i agree with it and yet i also find myself disagreeing with it and i agree with it because I think there's a lot to be learned and a lot to be profited from by having this cross pollination. I also think there's a lot to be said about laying our own pride down and inviting people in to be a part of the process, even though they're not part of the tribe. And, you know, and maybe it's incumbent upon me to learn a little bit more about what it takes to be in the LTC for no other reason than to broaden my perspective on what they look at and how they process stuff. Uh, and that's one thing that I've, I've valued a lot in a lot of these team environments and, and um, different organizations I've been able to, to work with is that once I began to understand other people's perspectives, it really clarifies how I can engage in that process. And I find that if more people are doing that, it's actually easier to engage in the process because I know where the, I know where the boundaries are. Uh, I know where my limitations are, but I also know that there's some overlap. And, and if there's trust there, I know that if I, if I fumble, somebody be there to pick it up and vice versa. And so, like I said, I find myself agreeing with a lot of stuff that's being said, but I also find myself going, "Mm, I'm not sure I'm ready to hang up my trades moniker to move over there just to prove to somebody that I can hang out with that crowd. Right. Um, And maybe it's just because I'm, I'm getting old and caring less about that PC too. I don't know.
1: I I think, though, you know, Tim. I think this is this is, you know, exactly where I'm going with it. I think that, you know, as tradespeople, we have been excluded from you know, Mike Rose, like let's, let's think about his work. You know, he's written so well on the academic vocational divide and, and also the, you know, the effects of it, what the, what the consequences are of that divide. And, you know, and there's many that have written on it. So we, you know, it's not just, it's not just a chip on their shoulders. Like Mm -hmm. it really exists, but the more I know, and the more I understand it, I, I too feel the same. I'm not, I I'm seeing it completely different. It's not that I'm excluded. It's like the what we are, what we know, and what we do as skill, as craftsmen of craftsmanship. We need to recognise and validate that we don't need to be accepted. We just what we're doing is we're just raising the profile of that, and no no more would we expect an academic to come over and say oh i want you to consider me as a tradesperson i want you to consider me as a craftsperson because i made um I don't know. I made this little cabinet on the weekend. Yeah, that's that's great. That's very nice. And you know, I wrote one little article, but you know, this doesn't make us either or, but just recognizing it. And I think the piece that really resonates for me in this chapter is when, you know, social justice works, work belongs to all of us. And so it isn't, you know, we can't, like Lucy was saying, having to, you know, being given a place at the table and then feeling that you have to really, you know, fight, you know, you've got the place there, but now you have to fight to have your voice heard and things like that, but realizing that, you know, no, that that's not it. If everybody around the table does value that social justice is all, you know, for all of us, it's not for those that hold the power to decide whether we can be heard, it's you know it's a different approach to that. At the same time, recognizing that we all we as individuals hold so much power, but it's easier for us to recognize where we're excluded. And I Vintage. think that's uh, you know this is the great thing about this chapter. You know. Um, just reading, there's one whole Mm -hmm. section in here and just as a white female. And one of the first points they make in this chapter is knowing that whenever I pay with a credit card, that my, Mm -hmm. um, my credit will not be questioned just quite simply because I'm white. And then the second Point number two really, really I thought was so powerful. Where I can confidently wear um, secondhand clothing and call it what's that name for second? Thank you. Call it vintage clothing, and it'd be extra stylish because because of my color. And I and you you know read the more we read, the more we inquire about this ourselves, sounds I, I cannot help but think like I think Lucy you said earlier are you gonna have to read this chapter again a few more times and I, I I'm on my third read of it today and yet I know I'm gonna return to it and as yeah
2: yeah I, I do like there in the chapter, like it does give you those examples of how you would run an agenda and some of the questions, Like it softly introduces you to starting to play around with this. So I, I love that because I'm obviously from trade. So give me a procedure. I will follow it and then I will adapt it. And um, once I've mastered it, and um, that's, you know, pretty much what we do, but, um, I'm just getting to my notes, but we, we, you know, it does say like, you know, in your first day, an agenda highlights from day one of one of their examples and i i feel that it just does you know it just it just gives you that confidence to start the conversation and just let it let it flourish just let it do its thing and see what happens after you've gone around that room and um, you know asking um i started you know started working on this project because i believe And the greatest hope for, for the future of my work is I am deeply committed to these two days because, and I feel just from those three questions in a, you know, in a room of people, you can start to gather some themes if you facilitate that well and give the whole room a bit of a picture, um, of, you know, of where this, where the roots are starting from with this, with this discussion or Mm -hmm. agenda item. So I really did, I really did like that, that helped, that was Hmm.
1: and as we get further and further in and, and I mean I'm still you know I think about my own f- facilitation style and and I just know that these two women they have really I mean they've spent so much time with this and I think about you know just even in Small group facilitation: How themes emerge that you never expected to emerge, mm-hmm. but um, and obviously, it's easy to to start with that you know your intended outcome there, and you hope that your discussions just bring people to that place. But if you with this, if you're with this, um, dive, you know lens of diversity, we cannot, we cannot really have, I mean, if we haven't lived those experiences and values of belief of so many different, you know, social structures, there must be so many times when these, the facilitators, the authors of this book have been totally, totally surprised by the direction Mm -hmm. that this has gone in. And, and I mean, I would just so love to talk to them or to, hear their stories. I mean, they do a wonderful job of sharing their stories. Mm -hmm. And I think what's so powerful here, the piece that you're just talking about, Lucy, you know, when they start to explain what day one and what day two look like and the questions they ask, but also how they embedded it with artists and musicians Mm -hmm. that represent the values and the beliefs of the intended or the overarching goal of this two day. So even though the pathway isn't clear, but what the art, you know, the artist and the musician, the belief structures that they came with are totally Mm -hmm. the direction that you're, you're going in. And so that's interesting as well, isn't it? How they've really shaped that embedded it throughout woven it throughout the whole two days
2: yeah no, and I also liked when they asked the questions, like tell us about your um, you know your best experience about time when you've been using your using your influence, living and working through the, with these issues. Like mm. you know, it's all about the questions. and this is why you know Tim, you we were talking about this before we came on, but just how you can ask these questions and they're they're just so well done. And I think this this is a great example of making sure that, the planning that you go into you ask you ask questions in a way that will pull that information out mm. um, and in a very kind of um you know in in, in a way that you're getting that raw information mm. it's not pre-planned they're not coming in with with items that they want to you know completely spill out it's going to be raw because it's the type of questions that you're creating mm and um yeah such an art to that it's
1: an art that i have but certainly that i just begin i believe i'm only beginning the journey of mastering that and like Tim, all credit to you. We were, like Lucy said, we were talking about this earlier. You know, I have, it's wonderful to work with somebody, you know, alongside somebody that is able to structure questions in that way. But I believe it's all has to be always very intentional and it's mm-hmm. so easy to slip into um, asking a question that shapes the direction of the result, isn't it? And, right. and so, I mean, they've done that, but they've intentionally done it like, you know, the question you just mentioned, Lucy, about how have you influenced? How is your influence? You know, so really like using that term, you've got to you've got to reflect. But rather than saying, I want you to, to go through this reflective practice, the question is guided you Mm -hmm. right there. There's no way you can answer this question without digging deep and yeah. 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 Reflecting.
0: Absolutely. And I think as we, as we begin closing uh, this, this, uh, session of our series in this book, it's, it's something that you just practice. You have to get practice at it. Right. And, Um, nobody's, nobody's born with the ability to ask really, really good, deep questions right from the beginning. It's, it's always a, it's always a progression and much like our trade, right? Like we weren't born, Mm -hmm. you know, able to do what we do, but we had to learn it. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. and sometimes we learn by failing and sometimes we weren't learned by watching. And most times we learn by doing, which is a great moniker Mm -hmm. to have on our t-shirt, learn by doing,
2: Uh Um, And and Oh, sorry. No, no, I was gonna say, that's why I just, I really love this book because it provides you with some of those questions and then you can really start to think about it. And I think my, my most favorite question back to the magic wand and rainbows and hope is, um, is the three wishes question. And I'm actually, if, you know, that's what I'm going to implement like this week, you know, is committees that I'm already working on that have already been formed, but we're kind of we don't really know our direction yet and what the outcome is going to be. That's going to be the question of three wishes from using your influence in living and working with the issues that we have. What would they be? And, um, and I just think that will, that will just show everybody like the direction and people's level of commitment and passion to this cause. So yeah. So magic wands and three wishes.
1: <laughs> you know what, Lucy, when you say that, what I hear is um, you know, a faculty member, that would just be such a wonderful opportunity. That's what I hear there. Yeah. Like, so I think that's incredible. Absolutely. Tim, circling back to what you just said about nobody is born with the ability to ask these questions. I think that is the perfect way to bring this conversation to close we started talking about this whole approach being grounded in social constructivism and you've actually like really situated it in there as we close like we are not born with any of this our biases our beliefs our values everything are shaped by our histories our cultural our families and mm-hmm. go forth and so when we consider that and we exclude those for, for their different experiences and cultures, I think it really is, uh, an awareness that, you know, is worth sharing.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. So if I was to, if I was to boil this chapter down into one word, like I said, it would be intentional being intentional with, with the planning, with the questioning, even with our own thinking process and uh, taking the time to, to really investigate it. So thanks everybody. It's been a pleasure as always.
2: Yeah, it was great. Thank you.
0: you You so,
1: so much, short Jim. today. We had so much to say. <laughs> I know. I will,
0: I will pl- put a plug in and hopefully if uh, Jeannie and Joan are listening to this podcast, then uh, mm. we're going to reach out to you soon and ask yeah. you to yeah. come and be a part of I'm the show. Because I'm sure assignment. they're
2: listening and they want to respond to what we're saying. <laughs> yeah. and I'm sure they're like speaking out loud in their living room. like yeah, They're probably respond, yelling but... at
0: us in an appreciative yeah. kind of way.
2: You just don't get it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> go back to chapter one and start again that's right that's
0: right oh that carson guy he needs to read chapter two again he just yeah yeah they're gonna
1: send us homework
0: perfect perfect (laughs) all right thanks again
2: thank you